With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You have been kicking down the doors of a reopened Macy's. Well, true or false? You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Backrack along with Amy Wagner. Let's face it, Amy, you and me are both pretty consummate shoppers. But, you know, I didn't find any great allure to go to Macy's, but it seems some of you did. I didn't either. And I wonder, too, as the CEO talks about the fact that a lot more people turned out once they opened the doors, if that's just like in Macy's terms. Like, would we be saying the same thing if, if would the numbers look the same if it were Target reopening, right? Or Nordstrom. Uh, it's just interesting to look at, you know, expectations for Macy's. They've been hemorrhaging money for a while now. And, of course, they were close for most of the first quarter. Uh, so those numbers are going to be down. But, uh for a while today, uh, Macy's stock soared, if you will. I think it was up 12% at one point because things weren't as bad as they thought they would be when they reported. Yeah, but then there's lies, there's damn lies, and there's statistics. And, of course, you are right, Amy. They did go up about 12% at the open. Uh, but that was because when you start at $10 a share, you don't have to go up but maybe a buck or so. And then, <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, yeah, wow, we have 10 12%. Uh, however, if you just pull back a little, as we sometimes do here, and view what's been happening with Macy's over the last year or so. Uh, yes, the stock has rallied from being down 75% in value to now only being down 50% in value. And if you start to watch, and Hertz would be a good example, of bankrupt companies whose stock starts to rally with any movement at all of you towards an airport and a rental car uh, counter, uh, gee, maybe bankruptcy is a great solution. Not that I'm suggesting it for anybody, any business at all, but, uh, you know, look, Macy's forecasting a quarterly loss now of $652 million compared with earnings about a year ago of $136 million, and they're forecasting sales to fall from $5.5 billion to $3.0, oh, just basically $3 billion. You figure some point something's got to give? You do, and, and I think Macy's has been struggling. What we've seen locally, and I, I still think of Macy's as a local company, even though they moved their headquarters. They've got the call team here. But, you know, we've watched uh, Kroger, when Amazon came in and bought Whole Foods, um, really step up their game. Uh, and we've watched Procter & Gamble uh, really step up their game uh, in, you know, in, in China and other markets here locally. And so it, with Amazon coming after so many of our big local industries, Macy's is the one that seems to struggle with figuring out where's our stronghold here, right? Where can we uh, plant our stake that's going to bring customers in the door? And we've talked about this before, Nathan, because people are still going, or well before this pandemic, they were still going to the higher-end stores like your Nordstrom. And, and they were busting down the doors of your TJ Maxx's and your Targets. But this, this middle area where Macy's is with these department stores is struggling, and, and they haven't been able to find what their new identity is. Hey, we wish them loads of luck but as you look around the rest of the stock market you start to see you're getting some glimmers about who may do well and who may not do well 
as we proceed out of uh, the pandemic that we're in. The Nasdaq continues to flirt with all-time highs. That's right, all-time highs. Just exactly what, of course, I would expect if somebody had said to me, Nathan, there's going to be 20 million people out of work, but that's okay because the Nasdaq's doing great. So why is the Nasdaq doing great? NASDAQ's doing great because of uh, several, of course, of the mega tech companies. And this isn't surprising at this point. You've got Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon. They're doing really well right now. You're shopping online. You're on Facebook. You've, in many cases, you've got nothing else to do but use these products. These companies are doing well. You know, I mean, I don't know that the NASDAQ surprises me as well as S&P 500, um, which is just about rebounded from, from what we saw back in, in February, you know, the highs that we saw back in mid-February, if you had told me in March, like you're saying, I would have thought, no way would well, it just take a few months. Listen, the uh, the S&P is about flat for the year at this point, which is actually a, a marvelous recovery. Amazing. But the NASDAQ's, up, the NASDAQ's up about what was up uh, yesterday's. These are one-day-old numbers, and, you know, if you miss a day, you miss a lot. It uh, was up about 10% for the year. So look at technology. You can't wake up in the morning and go to a meeting on, whoa, Zoom, right. Yeah, Zoom having quadrupled their earnings in, uh, uh, you know, just about three or four or five months. So technology is going to continue to drive us forward. And if you're not studying technology or you don't know how to code or you don't even know what coding is. Or you don't know what a Zoom meeting means, you might be Mm -hmm. in trouble. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you might be. Um, Consider also that over in the NASDAQ, 38% of that uh, technology sector is made up of companies. You know, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, and Amazon. This would be the big uh, five, so to speak. You know, you could have just put your money there. We're not recommending it, but just to show you how it is so weighted to the big companies that they ultimately are driving uh, the, the whole index, if you will, putting, putting it on their backs and saying, uh, let's go. Um, and, of course, if you have individual stocks, you may or may not have gotten uh, those kinds of returns. Keep in mind that while 21 million people are currently out of work, we did add 2.5 million jobs in May. Now, one thing we're starting to learn about those jobs, they were part-time. But what does it all mean as we discuss uh, the big and small implications of where the stock market is today? What does that all mean for the local economy? Well, it means that Main Street in Cincinnati is not Wall Street, for sure, especially here in Ohio. Ohio ranks number three. You know, a lot of times we brag about being at the top of these lists for great things. This isn't a good one. Number three, in a recent tally of how badly residents in each state have been hit financially since this deadly virus virus began to spread. Uh, this was research by Smart Asset. Uh, and we're, we're struggling here. The unemployment rate in April was close to 17%. That's the sixth highest of all 50 states. Uh, and, and this is the statistic, Nathan, that really opened my eyes in mid-May. of those in Ohio said that they, at some point during the month, did not have enough to eat for their families. Like, that Mm -hmm. is eye-opening. This is not somewhere else. It's here in our backyards. Yeah, and keep in mind uh, that the mayor of Cincinnati a while ago had established a panel led by uh, Lynn Marmer, a retired executive from Kroger, to take a look at child hunger. You don't set up blue-ribbon panels to take care of issues unless— Guess what? You have an issue. And this, way before the pandemic, this is a two, three-year-old initiative at this point. That's way before, way before we had the kind of, uh, shall we say, troubles that we are having today. At the same time, of course, uh, that basic commodity, food, 
um, has been going up in price, not down in price, because you are doing the cooking instead of the restaurant, and the demand at places like Kroger seems to be going up. There's a lot of reasons for this, right? There's uh, some of the meat processors were shut down for a long period of time during this and supply chain issues that have come up uh, during this pandemic. But this is a thing that you're noticing. I mean, we're talking about it on a call today with a, a number of our workers and someone was saying, I got the same groceries, I get the same groceries every week. Usually they cost me 60 bucks. Last Saturday, they cost me $75. You know, this is the kind of things that we are seeing. And, and this kind of inflation uh, often kind of creeps up on you. But at this point, it is almost blatant when you go to the grocery store because you're noticing that the things that you bought just several months ago cost a lot more right now. And for those who don't have paychecks coming in anymore, are furloughed or have been laid off entirely, uh, these prices are moving in the wrong direction. And remember that sometimes when you start to have sticker shock, uh, that uh, something you normally buy at the grocery store, you go, wow, that's expensive. Like, I don't know where I would be without Frank's buffalo sauce. All right. I I, I put <laughs> it on it. like I put it on like well, everything. Okay? So uh all you know, if all of a sudden I was starting to go, Whoa, that's expensive, what would they do? They might, as the in the case of Oreos, uh they might say, Okay, we'll put less Oreos, smaller packaging the price, it'll sort of seem about the same, but of yes. course, when you get done having a midnight snack with some milk, you'll go, hmm, I'm just not quite as full as I was before. What's happening? Yeah, this is a great point. We actually did um, a little investigation on this a couple of years ago. And like, if you were to buy like a, a jar of peanut butter and turn it over, there's a little like dimple that's shoved up in the middle of, of it, and that's because that makes it look like it was the same amount of peanut butter that used to get. The jar is the same size, but there's actually just air in the bottom now where there used to be peanut butter. This is the trend that we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, food manufacturers doing in order to say, ah, price point is the same, and maybe they won't notice that they're getting, uh, you know, a fifth less than they did the last time they shopped with us. And watch the price of commodities. I know you don't wake up in the morning and go, hmm, I wonder what sugar costs these days. Uh, you know, we typically focus on copper because we call that the uh, the metal with a, a doctorate because as the cost of copper goes, it seems that tells you what direction an economy is going in. However, we've never had an economy quite like this one. And raw materials like oats and sugar uh, the production lines to keep them moving, not what they used to be. So you could start to find that some of your uh, favorite things, uh, whether it's to start the morning or to sweeten up your day, are starting to cost more than they did before. I will tell you, I ventured out. I didn't go into the store, but I went to an exercise equipment place. I waved, and then the guy came over, and then I pointed to a machine that I had looked at last December. And when I looked at it at Christmas time last year, Oh, it was 20% off, plus they'll deliver it and set it up. All right. So mm -hmm. I asked, you know, I'm mouth mouthing, you know, like, how much? And then the guy says, you know, shows me the thing. I said, any discounts? He goes, well, I don't know. We ordered 10 machines and nine of them are already sold, kids. So you tell me, why am yeah, I supposed to? Yeah, we don't need to give people yeah. discounts right mm -hmm. now. Yeah. So all of this starts to add to the rising cost of goods. What does this mean for you? Well, a couple of things. One, you can't invest based on what you think the markets are going to do. When you plan for your retirement, you might want to start to build in a little more inflation than you saw before because eventually there's going to be a lot of money floating or flying around this economy uh, thanks to everything we've done to support this economy during COVID. That could mean that uh, producers find that it's a little easier to raise prices. And given the emergency funds that seem to be growing for some of you, 
you might not mind as much. All of that could raise the cost of goods. The stock market doesn't tell the whole story about the economy, and this recovery is going to have its moments for sure. Now, would you rent a car just to work outside of your house? Well, believe it or not, more people are, and we'll talk about that just ahead in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Backrag along with Amy Wagner. Will this pandemic shift the way we look at real estate for the long term? We'll talk about that just ahead at 643. So here's the question, particularly if you're living in downtown uh, Cincinnati, uh, OTR, or uh, you've got kids in some other big city. How do you get out of the house and uh, if there's no, not much public transportation and you don't have a car? Yeah, well, so this is an interesting. This is a business. It's kind of like Airbnb for your car, peer-to-peer car rental, and it's called Turo, T-U-R-O. And it said that 13% of its riders, uh, those people who are just, you know, borrowing cars from somewhere else uh, to, in order to get around, are using their cars as mobile workspace just just to get out. It, you know, interesting, I was um, talking to a friend of mine who works for L'Oreal, and there's people from across the country on her team, some of them in New York. And we were talking about in the beginning of this how difficult it was to work from home and have children who were trying to uh, learn from home as well and she was saying my heart goes out to my co-workers in new york who are living in one bedroom apartments with you know four people five people whatever it is and they can't get away they you know zoom calls and things like that those people are renting cars to get out of their homes just to get some peace and quiet yep and i will tell you something if this thing goes on long enough I'm going to be hoping for a jury of my peers that's that, you know, that where I can say, look, my, here's my, he'll be my also defense. Whatever I, with their family members. Yeah. Whatever I'm accused of, I'll just simply say, hey, I've been in my house for X number of months. What would you have done? And I'm sure I'm going to get the jury to shake their heads and go, oh, yeah, sure. I'm with him. Acquitted. Fine. Justifiable. Whatever it was. Uh, next case. There you go. Uh, it's Simply Money University is where we go this time every week as we go over the basics of retirement planning and investing. And tonight, what is the cost of having a safe investment? Something that people will say, you know, they'll color code them or they'll say, oh, this one is safe. So the question is, is there such a thing as safe and should you have some? Well, and I think during this pandemic was the perfect time for people to who sell what we call these safe investments, and I'm using air quotes here on the radio right now, uh, in the form of annuities. It, it, before, they would sell the, you these annuities at state dinners, and they would say, listen, as you get closer to retirement, you want to protect it. You want to make sure you've got a stream of income coming in, um, it, it, you know, little downside, uh, you know, all kinds of big promises. Here's the thing. Tons of commission are, are tacked on and fees into these promises products. Okay, so now you enter a pandemic. Uh, and even where we are now, stock market has rebounded, but there's civil unrest and we're not sure what's going to happen next with trade war with China. The headlines can scare you a lot. Oh, and, yeah. and, and so these uh, these salespeople can swoop in and make you promises about these safe investments that can sound really good about right now. Yeah. And the deal is you have to RTFP, which is read the fine Now, uh, let's first talk about variable annuities. Variable annuities are uh, investments, typically mutual funds or exchange-traded funds, that imagine you took an investment and you put it inside of a Ziploc bag and then you 
close the bag. All right. Everything that takes place inside of that, the buying and the selling and the ups and the downs, just like any other uh, mutual fund or exchange traded fund would do, as long as it takes place inside of that bag, there are no taxes until such time as you start taking withdrawals. And those withdrawals got to be after age 59 and a half or you'll have a 10 percent penalty. And that sounds good, except a couple of things. First off, while the money sits inside of that Ziploc bag, which would otherwise be known as the insurance company, which has these great powers granted to them by Congress, uh, the insurance company is going in there every day and going, okay, 97% for you and three for me. 97% for you and three for me. That's called the expense ratio because that's about 3% what is being charged to provide all these wonderful services and potentially guarantees that you're getting. It's been on the uh, hot spot of the oven for a while, and now I'm, in a, I guess, in a sense, I'm happy to say this. I mean, variable annuity sales uh, were up fifteen uh, percent um, in the first. Well, I'm not happy to say this. Uh, what I am happy to say is that uh, the sale of two, three kinds of variable annuities has now uh, declined by about nineteen percent. So only twenty-seven billion of them were sold. Well, yeah, but when you look at what happened during Q1 of 2020, variable annuity sales up 15%, structured annuities up close to 40%. So that tells us what my fear was, which is that, you know, you are going to become a prime target for this. And I can't tell you how many people we have come in, we've had come into our offices before and say, lay it all on the table, right? Here's what I have. Here's all of my investments. And when we start talking about these annuities, they say, well, I bought it because I wanted to know I had this income coming in. And then we say, do you know how much you're paying in commission? Do you know are you how much you paid in commission? Do you know how much you're paying in fees? And once we expose them for what they are, usually the next question is how do I get out? Yeah. Get me and, out. And unfortunately, you know, when you when you get sold an investment that says here's what your income will be at some point five, ten, fifteen years in the future. Um, you think, wow, that sounds like a lot of money. But here will be the deal. If an insurance company tells you that your 100 is going to turn into 200, and then at some point you're going to get an income of X from it, ask the salesperson this. If I put this money in and it grows to what you say is 200 in value, can I take out that 200 and then shop it on the open market to see if I can get a better payout? And all of a sudden you will find, uh, mm, uh, and trust me, when there's even a moment pause, and a second sounds like an age when you're talking to a salesperson. When you ask that question and they go, uh, no, 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 well, we're not exactly, or, uh, well, let me explain how it really, uh-huh. That's when you start to understand that it's monopoly money and that it's not really your money. And somehow I will tell you, X plus Y equals Z. And in this case, uh, X is the insurance agent. Y is the uh, you, the consumer, and Z is Insurance company always wins. So understand that as you proceed with these investments. When we talk about the fees, right, that you could be paying on these, and I guarantee they are not giving these to you, uh, hey, before we, f- we sell you this, we want to make sure that you understand exactly what you're paying. That's not how this goes down. Uh, there are guaranteed income benefit charges. Typically, those run between anywhere between like 35 and 150 bucks a year. You've got mortality expenses, uh, underlying investment fees, guaranteed income writer fees. Uh, and, and again, Nathan, it's so important to read the fine print because it's not going to be out there in front of you and right. listen not to pick on an industry but but we want to be very clear yeah, about but, how go, this but go ahead yeah i mean they're getting postcards in the mail saying you know 
sell these and we're going to sh- send you to this exotic location with your not family anymore. for a week. Well, maybe not anymore, but they'll they'll be creative. They will incentivize these people in some way or another to make sure that they are making these fees and commissions off of you in any way that they can. One thing that could help. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The industry, but I doubt they'll do it. Is this there is no such thing as a break point, meaning no matter how much you invest in an annuity, it's not like you get like the commission goes down. And a mutual fund, you spend a hundred thousand dollars, the commission is less than if you spend invest ten thousand dollars. So keep in mind, this is not necessarily set up to protect you. So variable annuities and structured settlements, yeah, they could cost more than you think. So is there a career change likely? We'll talk with Julie Bauke about what you should do just ahead. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Beckrack along with Amy Wagner. I would think after being an investment advisor, the tough, next toughest job uh, from where we sit here might be to advise people on how to get a job when 20 or 30 or 40 million of your closest friends and neighbors are trying to get one, too. That's why we've got Julie Bauke. She is the president and chief career strategist at the Bauke Group. Okay, so tell me it's not as bad as I my guts would tell me it's likely to be if you've been laid off and now you've you know, got to hit the streets, except you can't hit the streets because you have to wear a mask and you can't network because you can't have a cup of coffee because nobody wants to go inside and enclose space. And other than that, it's a perfect time to be looking for a job. It's actually not as bad as you think, and I know uh, you would expect me to say that. Um, yeah, that's but right. Yeah, there's a lot of factors to it. So. You know, it really does depend on the the kind of job you're looking for. Um, Mm -hmm. If you are looking for a job in the airline industry, the travel industry, yeah, it's going to be difficult. Um, But there are plenty of other industries and professions within those industries that had a great lack of talent back in January and February and still does. Sure. Give me me for instance here. So if you are um, in technology – in um, some maybe even what's starting to pick up now is outpatient health care. If you're an engineer, let's say you're in marketing or social media. So people are starting to put their heads up and say, we have to be ready to hit the ground running as a business when this thing, you know, when, when the world starts to open up. So there's, there's some, I think everything froze for a little right. bit. 
And now we're starting to see some movement. Um, We had two clients, actually three clients, land in the last couple weeks. Good jobs. Um, They had been. So tell me, this is tell me how tell me how it happened, and and give me a story that would have the greatest appeal. Okay. We have a client who is, he started his search about 30 days before all this began. His networking began to slow down. And so what he did was, not content to stop his networking, he started to network with people via Zoom and on the phone just to check in, see how people were doing, inform them about his job search. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was very specific about what he wanted and how he could help a company. And so when he went to the market, his message was specific, which is always my advice. Don't just go out there and say, I'm looking for a job. And he actually um, just got two offers from two different companies in town who need him who need him to do the work to support their current customers. Right. And so there's still work out there. There are still customers that need to be supported. There's still work that needs to be done. And so it's, it's, when people say, how long is it going to take me to find a job? My first question is, it depends. You know, how, marketable, how marketable are you? And do, is the market looking for someone like you? And, and those, those, are, you know, those are important questions to ask. All right. So let's talk about those who have not maybe built the biggest network going. And now realizing that are going, oh, boy, I got to get out and go through and figure out to rack my brain. Who do I know? And when did I meet somebody at an industry or a social function? And how does that look? How does networking look to you, a career consultant, for those who may have been, you know, kind of coasting because it wasn't as important as it is now? Yeah, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around what networking means. And um, it's what's it mean to you? It's building mutually beneficial relationships that support your goals. So Sounds good. Yeah. I mean, How your do you do it? next door neighbor, someone you know via church or a volunteer group can be a wealth of information, ideas, and contacts. It's not necessarily just people who work in your industry or in your profession or in companies you want to work for. What you're looking to do is build a web of people who think a lot of you, and right. we'll step out on your behalf and make introductions. And so the mistake we make when we're looking for a job is uh, we assume that certain people in our lives, oh, they, they can't help. You know, what do they know? Or we're afraid to talk about what we're looking for. But connecting to other people who know people who would be in a position to help you is incredibly powerful. Um, we find that in a job search, it's actually when you think about LinkedIn, you think about your first and second degree contacts. Your second degree contacts are your most helpful contacts. So people you meet through other people. And, and so the, it's, it's and really, the reason. And what's the reason for that? Well, I think a lot of times the people that know us best, they have assumptions about us. Oh, um, Joe, he's in blah, blah, blah industry. You know, um, they mm-hmm. don't see us. They see us in one way. Joe, my neighbor, who's always leaving early. Or Joe, he does something with airplanes. And so the assumption that we make sometimes about the people we know the best, about them professionally, even if we know them really well personally, is incorrect. And so when there's a a degree – when I introduce introduce someone, then I'm going to say, you know, Fred, meet Joe, and I'm going to share whatever I know about Fred to Joe. But then, you know, they take it away, and then the person has the opportunity to position themselves professionally and say – Here's what I am. Here's what I do. Um, that's yeah. why sometimes getting advice sure. from close friends and family on this sort of stuff isn't necessarily helpful because they know you. They know you too well, and they may well, not know you professionally in the way you want to be known. 
Sure. And what is the definition of an expert? Somebody who's about 25 miles from their friends. So, yeah, exactly. All right. Exactly. Now, I get in, uh, asked to participate all the time, and uh, people want to connect with me at LinkedIn. All right. I look at LinkedIn and I go, well, I've not had to look for a job for 20, you know, 35 years, so I'm really not the, your, your profile. But the question I would pose to you, Julie Bauke, is this. Does LinkedIn work or what do you have to do to make LinkedIn, LinkedIn work for you? It absolutely works. In fact, I would say, I always say that for people over 40, you have to be even more certain that you're using LinkedIn because it is the way to connect these days. It, mm-hmm. it is superseded all else. And if you are, act like you don't need it or you don't understand it so you don't want to try, all you're doing is positioning yourself as old and out of date. <laughs> so, right. so how do you go about it? How so do you make it work? Yeah, so just being there and setting up a random profile in five minutes and then going off to do something else doesn't get it done. So it has to be a fully filled-out profile with a professional picture, not you and your dog or a beer or your wife. Um, it has yep. to be a professional photo, recent photo, that very, very clearly tells the story of what you've done and what you're looking to do. And so people sometimes will just put their titles on there and their location and they'll have six contacts. That's frankly worse than not being on there at all. So you want to think of it this way. It's sort of like your face to the professional world because there's all these people out there on LinkedIn who are looking at profiles who've never seen your resume. And if they don't see a well-thought-out LinkedIn profile that really has your your important things on it, they may never ask for your resume. It looks like you just came in and went, I got it. Somebody told me I have to do this, so I'm just going to put this out there and hope for the best. And that is, that's just, that that's the worst thing you can do. And so, and LinkedIn walks you through the process of your profile, 70% complete, 80% complete. Go through it. Take the time. It's your marketing document to the world. And somebody may find you that way. And there's a way that you can um, indicate that you're looking for a job, open for opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so you want to turn that on that way that everybody can see, including all recruiters, and everybody can see who's using LinkedIn, which is pretty much everybody now, they can find you by putting in keywords, and you'll show up as one of their profiles. It's a great yep. way to be, even if you're employed and don't want to show your hand right now, even though you want to leave, it's a great way to be a passive job seeker. I will t- I will, and I'll share with you one way uh, to not have things uh, uh, mess you up. A friend of mine, his name is Tinker Kelly. He's down in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. And I said to him one day, I said, guy, you look so good in your picture. He said, I said, how do you stay so young? He said, well, I haven't changed my picture in 20 years. So, you know, maybe maybe it's your best not recent picture and you'll just look fabulous. But we'll leave that for the professionals <laughs> like you, Julie, to figure out whether that's a good strategy or not. You've been listening to Simply Money. Our guest has been Julie Bauke. She's the president and uh, chief career strategist at the Bauke Group where people go when they need help finding a job in this crazy environment. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Backrack along with Amy Wagner. Are you stress spending? Oh, gosh. If that was the case, I could be bankrupt already. We'll talk about that. At 653, how will this pandemic shift the real estate market? I will tell you both from personal experience and what I'm hearing, it's going to be a little bit different moving forward, maybe a lot different than it's been for the last 10 years.
Well, and I think people might be starting to be interested in this for a number of reasons. Okay, so mortgage rates are pretty low right now, um, but it's a different market. You know, are you comfortable going through someone else's home right now? Are, are you comfortable having someone in your home? I mean, I, I think if you were kind of in a generally looking mode, I might be comfortable taking a virtual tour of a home. But if I'm going to actually buy something uh, that I'm going to be paying for for a long time to come, I better be walking through that house and checking out every nook and cranny. And I think there's a lot of people who feel that way. Uh, And so we're in a different place than we've ever been before. Interestingly enough, and I wouldn't have thought this statistic to be the case, two-thirds of people who actually attended an open house in the past year said they would attend an open house now without any hesitation. Hmm. Um, However, I will tell you from having uh, put a house up for sale and from what I've heard from others who have, um, it, it's certainly there are no open houses that I'm aware of right now. You're wearing a face mask. You're wearing gloves. You're not allowed into a house for more than 30 minutes. It's strongly recommended, shall I say, please don't show up with kids because they're unruly, or at least it's two other, or two or three or four other human beings have got to be policed. Uh, I also saw you put the booties on your shoes so you're not yep. tracking anything, or you take your shoes off and you walk around in your stocking feet. All the lights have to be on. All the closets have to be open. Nobody's supposed to be touching and open and closing anything. Yeah. Boy, if you want to talk about a sterile antiseptic process, that's got to be it. And yet, at the same time, mortgage rates uh, strikingly low. But demand uh, is meeting, uh, exceeding the supply because many of you have said, uh, well, this doesn't seem like the time to move, so the houses aren't on the market. Well, and if you are interested in buying right now, here's something I would say to keep in mind. From a seller's perspective, uh, you know, there's many times when you might think, oh, you know, we want to go through... 10 houses. Uh, you know, we, and maybe this one probably isn't right. We can tell online it's not exactly a fit, but we want to go through it anyway. No, no, no. If you're going to ask to go through a house, right, you have to figure this out. The people have to clean the house. They're also worried about you and maybe wherever you've been. And then they have to go somewhere and remain safe while you're touring their house. So, you know, they're asking, listen, appointment only. Come through if you're serious about this house. And, and if you have not been pre-approved or even talked to a bank, don't waste our time right now. Yeah. Uh, so I think this has kind of moved up maybe the process for a lot of people because they're asking, you know, only serious sellers and only serious buyers at this point trying to come together. So here's what you can expect. Uh, first off, financial institutions will probably say they want to see a slightly higher credit score than they have in the past because they don't know whether you and the job that you have that may look fine today could be toast tomorrow. This could also result in more than a strong suggestion from a financial institution that, uh, yeah, why don't you beef up that, that down payment a little too, Nathan, because, uh, you know, just want to make sure that if this thing goes belly up, the next person in, even if we have to sell your uh, property, uh, we won't have to take nearly as much in order for us to break even. Rates now down, by the way, from last year, this time 3.82 for a 30-year, which we don't recommend, by the way. But 3.82 now to 3.18, that's about a, a, a six-tenths of a percent drop. That turns into a lot of monthly savings, uh, and that may be another reason why the value of houses continues to go up when you have little demand and uh, cheap money. It's a recipe, certainly, for uh uh, great news for sellers. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Beckrack, along with Amy Wagner as we discuss 
what it's like to buy real estate these days. And then, of course, uh, add to all this the fact that the closing process could be longer than ever before. Which I feel like it goes on forever anyway, right? Weeks and weeks and weeks and all of the paperwork and all of the inspections and everything. But, you know, you've got people who aren't working in the office right now. Uh, so a lot of these processes are going to take much longer. The interesting thing is my dad was just telling me the house next door to him went on the market last week. And he thought, well, you know what? Next time I talk to Amy, I'm going to tell her that if one of her friends is looking for a house, there's a great one next door to me. He went for a walk the next day. It was already pending. So houses are moving quickly. It's just the process of then the moving and the closing and everything that seems to be taking way longer these days. Yeah, and as I discussed my friend Bobby, or as we like to call him, Bobby, he preps, uh, he, he develops sites for developers. He had a, a, a site that had 150 lots on it. He'd only sold about 34. I asked him how it was doing. I was afraid to hear the answer, and then he said, man, I'm selling like it's 2007, which, if you remember, was right before the wheels fell off, except this time the wheels have already fallen off. And what it probably says, and I get this every time I take my daughter back to her apartment, you know, living in an apartment means you're going to walk by a lot of door handles, a lot of air that other people have been in. You're going to be bumping into a lot of people in hallways that are, I'll be nice about it, really narrow so I can start to see the trend will be more towards single-family dwellings that may not cost as much as before, but uh, they'll certainly be uh, greatly in demand. Simply money point here, home prices didn't plunge like you thought they would, but the, the pandemic, yeah, it's going to be changing real estate in ways we have yet to understand. So how do you manage your stress spending? We'll talk about that just ahead in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Backrack along with Amy Wagner. What do you do to manage stress? Do you make yourself a cocktail or two? Do you go for a long walk? Or do you maybe stroll over and, oh, yeah, hit Amazon up big time? 40% of you say, yep. I'm raising my hand. I have made an impulse purchase during this time of sheltering in place and social isolation that I would have never bought before. And I will make my confession here. Um, the thing that I bought that I would have never usually bought is an enormous inflatable plastic pool for my kids. Uh -huh. uh, you softy, you. And I'll tell you. This is what happens, the idea of it, right? I'm like, okay, well, the pools aren't open. And at the time, I wasn't even sure if we could go on vacation. So we're going to be stuck here. It's going to be hot. We know what summers are like around here. And so um, I bought the the ginormous inflatable pool. Kids were super excited about it. Couldn't wait for it be to be delivered. And then they played with it for about an mm -hmm. hour, maybe two yeah. hours. Uh, so so uh, is it the way it, that sounds to me like the most expensive bath in the history of uh, your neighborhood. Hands down. Hands yeah. down. They'll probably never get in it again. And, and I, as I stepped back, I was like, this is so stupid. But in the moment, it made perfect sense when I was ordering it. And I'm sure there's a lot of you who are like, yeah, I've kind of done that recently, too. One in five consumers say you're spending more than you were prior to this stay-at-home order. Those are people who are out of control on uh, these impulse purchases right now. Right. What's interesting, though, is that the reason that you make purchases is is not because uh, uh, for the reason you might not because you're stir crazy or you have extra money, it's because stress spending provides a sense of control. You 
or making a decision. You can't make a decision about what they're doing in Washington. You can't make a decision about how fast we're going to have the laboratories working on anything that might uh, change your quality of life, but you can buy. And that decision, oh, it's your decision, and nobody else is going to make it except Y-O-U. And for that, you can beat your chest and go, I'm good. I'm the boss. Really, that's what the psychologists say is the driver behind it. And I think that makes complete sense. But here's a little a bright spot in all of this. Most of you who are stressed shopping aren't buying huge ticket items. Uh, a recent survey found that two-thirds of respondents said they spent less than $150 on comfort buying during the pandemic. If it stops with that and it's not keeping you from paying your bills, you know, there are certainly worse things that could happen right now. All right. True confession. And I know some of you think that I was probably born in dry cleaning. That's how I came out of the womb. But, in fact, I did spend some time up in the hills, and I bought a splitting mall. For those of you who don't know, it's this big wedge kind of a thing. You swing it, and a piece of wood turns miraculously, if you do it right, into two pieces of wood that might actually fit in the fireplace. And, and yeah, I bought a splitting thing. mall. I found the cheapest one for $34. I then gave it to a friend. He's been using it. And then when I went to buy another one, yeah, they're sold out. So I'm not the only person that's splitting wood these days. So... Keep that as a happy thought as we head to tomorrow. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.